Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about AI, how you can implement AI to create your B2B content strategy. I think today it's hard to ignore AI. That was simple yesterday, impossible tomorrow. We need to do it. It doesn't matter what kind of business you have. You need to do it today because tomorrow your competitors will replace you. So let's learn more about that. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Nick Bafsar. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Anatoly? Good to see you. Yeah. Nice to see, to see you, to meet you, to learn from you. Nick, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, uh, and how to pronounce your second name better than me. <laughs> sure, that's the hardest part. So it's Bobsar, the H is silent, so Nick Bobsar. But quick background, uh, so kind of an engineering background. I came from uh, electrical engineering and worked for Intel for a number of years, design server. So I'm very uh, sort of a left brain marketer. Um, and then I cut my teeth at a company called SolarWinds, where I led product marketing, uh, went through a successful IPO. It was a fun part, of, part to, to get my first uh, sort of take into positioning and messaging as a product marketer. And then jumped over to a company called Sol uh, Spiceworks, where we were also in the network management space. And I led revenue marketing there, demand generation, sales enablement, um, a little bit of product marketing. Uh, and it was a ton of fun just to, to continue to help that grow. Then I led uh, two PPC-backed companies as a head of marketing. Um, the last one that I did full-time was a company called Level Set, um, where they had a successful exit to a company called Procore. So it's fun to be uh, part of a, that was more of an SMB type of transaction. And then today I, I own my own consulting practice. So it's solopreneur kind of consulting. Uh, I teach a little bit at Kellogg as a, a program leader in their digital marketing strategies course. And um eager to chat with you about uh, chat gpt and some of the other ai tools there's so much changing in the world right now yeah yeah agree love it love it you know i think it's part of our occupation to adapt to implement to go ahead because techno technologies uh, change fast but uh, human psychology is the same so we need to consider new technologies uh, to satisfy intent because you know my loving books were written many years ago Jack London wrote great books, Dale Carnegie, Josh Ugerman wrote a book about why people buy and how to uh, retain them longer on, uh, on your content. You know, it's interesting that he wrote this book um, about marketing, but today we have digital marketing and it's the same, the same psychology, why people consume content. I can relate all these methods to video content, to audio podcasts, because people are the same, but technologies are different. That's why we talk today about uh, GPT-4. And uh, can you tell me how to use it right? Because, you know, I see when people use such tools uh, by using generic methods you know like uh, they can use the same uh, like ihrefs semrush many other tools uh, they find high volume keywords and think wow i want to get this traffic i want to rank well but you need to consider you're not alone high volume keywords are overwhelmed and overpriced it's hard to get them it's the same like if i want to uh, rank with keyword seo i need to compete with 
New Paddle, Ahrefs, Moss, many other great resources. And uh, even if I can find resources and methods to outrank them, uh, can I sell with this keyword? It's not related right. to my main services. So can you tell about B2B content strategy? How to create the right one by using GPT-4? Yeah, it's a great, uh, great prompt, in fact, is the way we would say it. So appreciate the uh, the advanced uh, notice. So, you know, I think you mentioned something that really resonates, which is the fundamentals of marketing. They're, they haven't changed and they probably never will change. It's more the execution and the, the ability for us to be much more productive. So when it comes to B2B content strategy, when I talk to clients, one of the first things that we have to understand is what the buying committee is. And a buying committee is just a fancy word to say in, in B2B organizations, there's typically um, anywhere between seven to 20 different people involved in a, in a complex enterprise purchase. So it could be an IT person, it could be their legal counsel, it could be the finance person, could be business department leaders, it could be procurement, and the list goes on and on. And, and just as an interesting fun fact, um, that has actually increased quite a bit during the course of COVID. So it used to be around uh, seven to eight people involved in a buying decision-making process prior to COVID. And now for enterprise sales, that, that number's anywhere between 14 to 20. And there's some sort of statistics that are showing that that's the people that typically the sales team will know about. But there's oftentimes many more people in the company or in the prospect company that, that you don't even know about. So that's the first starting point. And so one of the things you have, you have to do is sit down and say, you know, who are the different people involved in that decision-making process? Who's the person that would initiate the deal? Who's the person that would be the end user of the application? Who would be someone that might influence the deal, might not be involved directly, um, but is influencing solving this problem? Who is the person that makes the financial decision? And then who are potential gatekeepers? And so the core to, to starting with the B2B strategy is really saying, you know, let's map out and understand who those different buyers are and thinking about the titles of what each of those folks are. So uh, it's a little bit different in the consumer space, right, where, where you tend to have just a single person, like let's say you're buying $50 item on Amazon or some, some e-commerce site, you don't involve a, a large complex buying uh, committee. But in the enterprise space, if you're buying some $50,000 software or something like that, there's a lot of people involved. So I think that's the first part in totally is just making sure you have uh, a lot of different people and understand who would buy your software or solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. You know, uh, once um, I found when Elon Musk uh, shared on Twitter how he used ChatGPT to ask uh, detailed questions. So he asked uh, with uh, many details as much as possible. Uh, and uh, I found that many people use uh, ChatGPT or any other AI tools by uh, asking simple questions. For example, uh, write me article about weight loss or I don't know how to earn money online. But if you ask uh, generic questions, you can get <laughs> generic replies. So Elon Musk uh, was specific and that was before he started to hate. Uh, chat GPT now when we knew that he withdraw like a uh, hundred million dollars and today yeah uh, after investing in Twitter I, I think you know uh, we can see that uh, uh, that that was not good decision from Elon Musk's side but we can uh, you know uh, criticize 
uh, very mm. successful man you know <laughs> anyway i'm interested about asking the right questions you know we have ai tools elon musk can ask detailed questions and uh, people can use some prompts uh, to ask these questions can you tell how to find the balance between asking hard questions and uh, uh, asking about uh, your buying persona because uh, each case is different each project is different and any, any tips about that yeah so so uh, one of the places we start on the buying committee is using chat GPT you can actually ask it so let's use an example let's say we're developing some or we're trying to promote a network monitoring software some classic sort of enterprise IT application so you can ask ChatGPT, uh, give me the list of the personas that would be in the buying committee uh, for network management software. It'll list out, you know, a system system administrator, an IT representative, a security manager, uh, legal, procurement. And so you take all of those sort of personas and those titles, and now you start to dive into each of those different personas and you think about the stages that you go through in the buying cycle. And this is where ChatGPT can be really powerful. And one of the things that I often uh, help clients with is uh, we think about something that's called jobs to be done. And this is a famous framework that uh, actually came out of um, Harvard professor Clayton Christensen sort of coined this phrase. And if you're interested, there's a really interesting YouTube video where he talks about the job that McDonald's hires a, or if you're a customer that you hire McDonald's to do when you buy a milkshake. It's a famous case <laughs> where, you know, it's not at all intuitive that it's not because you're hungry. It's not because you know, you're uh, looking for a snack. It's in fact, for many people, they buy a milkshake when they're on their way to work because it just keeps them from fidgeting in their hand. And so they've actually designed that milkshake cup to fit in the cup holder to be very ergonomic and just the right amount of weight. So um, really fascinating case. But what we have to do in B2B is say, okay, across those different personas that we just had ChatGPT list out, and then across each of those different buying stages, from the early parts of top of funnel to the middle to the to the last parts, now we can ask what are the jobs to be done for each of those different stages in those personas. And the, the really interesting part is if you correctly phrase those jobs, that's the prompt into ChatGPT. So I'll give you an example. Um, a, a, good, uh, a good prompt or at least a good job to be done um, in the network monitoring space, for example, might be I'm trying to minimize the time it takes to look across all of my network devices and determine which one of them might have a security flaw, right? And so that's a uh, prompt that we can then put into ChatGPT and you can ask it, write me a uh, blog post that would detail out how a network security administrator would go about scanning their networks and determining which potential devices have security flaws. So now we have a very detailed prompt that is for the top of funnel by stage, specifically for a system admin or a network security person. And so we have kind of one block in this matrix of personas and stages. And ChatGPT can do a very good job of writing that blog post. And that's the starting point. And I think what, what many people forget is you often have to take these the starting point and then you have to iterate based off of it. So one of the things you can do is once it, once it provides that response, you can actually tell it to, you can provide it some of the copy from some of your website and say, this is the tone or the brand that I'm, I, I typically talk about. And then you can take that blog post and have it regenerated in your tone, in your brand voice as well. And so you can continue to have these iterative uh, sort of cycles. And at the end of this, you have a pretty detailed blog post, one for that persona, for that 
specific uh, stage and was specifically for that uh, sort of job to be done. And so that's the exercise then. And then you continue to go back to ChatGPT and have it write other jobs to be done. And you can give it a couple of examples and then go across all of your different personas and across each of your different stages. And at the end of that, you've got quite a comprehensive content strategy that ChatGPT has generated. And what's been fun is, is now there are also some tools that will help you try to optimize the, the language that you write in, for example, with call to action, with um, different headlines. And so you can play around with some of these other generative AI tools. I think AnyWord is one example that I've just recently heard of um, that can tell you which headlines will be the most engaging. And so we're taking the guesswork out of the creation and the likelihood that these uh, these blog posts and articles and eBooks will be successful. And that's the the sort of crux of, of content generation when it comes to B2B. It's a fascinating world. I think what we'll see is, you know, it used to be you'd have large, large teams of content marketers. And I think we'll start to see um, some consolidation where you have, you know, a, a maybe a little more productive uh, more senior people doing content generation because you can generate so much content uh, with the right approach. It's a fascinating time to be involved in this. Nice, nice. Yeah, valuable. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, even my AI tool uh, on Miss.com, you know, uh, can help to create content at scale for all website pages. But uh, in my tool, you can find golden button. Guys, it's not golden button. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, I found that any AI tool is the best rewriting tool ever. But rewriting, not writing something new, valuable, unique. So ChatGPT uh, can generate great text. My tool can generate great text, you know. Uh, the difference in my tool, uh, you need to add your website, that's it, you know, and this tool will find all pages on your website, create content, titles, descriptions, H1, uh, context. So you don't need to uh, search for pages that have low performance, so you can use my tool. Even if you use ChatGPT or Jasper or any other tool, you need to understand it's only rewriting. Uh, and uh, you can't share something new. Google cares about uh, something new. Even if Google uh, decided to change the policy that uh, uh, you can use AI tools, but you can use in the right way uh, to create something new. And I found many content creators overuse ChatGPT. They generate a lot more than uh, they need, you know, because uh, in the end, we need to provide something new. Can you? Tell how to find the balance between overusing and using that can help to create high quality content. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. These um, these tools are extremely powerful. They can generate lots and lots of content, but it still has to be. You know, Google's algorithms are all trying to figure out if a human is going to interact with this content. It's not being written for the search engine. It's not being written for other folks. And so, the, the key is being able to continue to have it right for a human. And if a human clicks on it, follows up on it, then that, that will ultimately optimize Google's algorithms and others. Um, and so ChatGPT can be a very effective tool as are some of the other generative AI tools. Uh, but it's important to remember that they still have to be engaging by a human. So just having a thousand page you know, blog post or something like that's not gonna be very effective because no one will actually read it. 
even though you can generate that that level of content relatively easily. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think, you know, people, uh, you need to understand one thing. If you generate this text uh, with basic prompts, thousand others will do the same, <laughs> if not millions, you know, because hundred million users uh, are on this tool uh, for two months. I don't know how many we have now, but a lot. And most of them use generic strategies. So right. you need to use in the right way, because uh, if you use uh, generic uh, commands, uh, prompts, you can get generic content that others will do the same. Uh, Nick. I'm interested about creating high quality content. You know, we, uh, it's interesting that high quality is subjective. You know, sometimes I can open the top 10 results and see simple design, nothing special, you know, but it's ranking well. The value is quality because it can help support me. Uh, sometimes I can feel, wow, awesome design, the best design that I can see, but context is poor, you know, nothing special, low. So. Can you tell how to create high quality content today from your experience? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think the uh, the the thing in marketing that we strive to try to do is we try to, it's very cliche, but we try to tell stories. And because that's mm -hmm. just for thousands of years, that's how humans have told each other. That was the first viral marketing was, you know, uh, caveman tells another caveman, don't go over this hill because there's a cliff. It's a story, right? So. We have to do the same thing in marketing. And I think uh, a lot of times we forget some of the fundamentals of storytelling. And I, I, I'm a big fan of um, some of the some of the fairy tale old, you know, children's fairy tale approaches to, to storytelling. So I'll give you an example. You know, it, it could once upon a time, which is the background and situation of what's going on, something happens. Right. And it could be um, let's let's tie this together. Maybe we we'll write a story on the fly. So. Once upon a time, you have thousands of network devices and um, you're trying to manage multiple sites across you know, your company. And then something happens. There's an outage at one of the companies and your employees can't get access to some of their devices. And so that's sort of the background, the climax, um, or some situational sort of uh, occurrence. And then you have a climax, which is the hero, network engineer, network system administrator, for example, has to jump into action and take some um, action. And so they can uh, find a hero and the hero is usually your company, the vendor. So they find the vendor and they find a solution where they can replicate data across multiple sites and do that instantly if one of the sites goes down. And then they uh, get to see, you know, the, the, the fairy tale ends by showing how the hero was successful. They're able to continue to have their employees successful even though there's an outage at one of the sites and maybe they're promoted for doing this. And so. Sometimes we forget that that is that approach of storytelling is what makes content really resonate. And with ChatGPT and, and other AI tools, we're going to be able to generate a lot of content, but it still requires sort of thinking about things in a, in a very um, uh, compelling way and, and understanding what your positioning is relative to other companies' positioning. Um, now, all that said, as I mentioned, there, there are some powerful AI tools that can help you, for example, determine the best headlines, determine the best ad, uh, ad copy that you can create, test out different imagery, A-B test emails. So we're starting to see a lot of different tools come out to help you accelerate you know, how to determine what's engaging. But as, a, as an executive in the marketing space, I always look for you know, what is that story that 
is simple enough that one one of our customers can tell another customer because I think that's what always resonates with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Storytelling, I uh, know. For example, um, once I watch a presentation about new Apple Watch, when Tim Cook shared three stories about this Apple Watch, after that, I bought three pairs for me, for okay. my son, for my wife, because these guys probably kill me if I buy only for myself. But you know, right. <laughs> so I bought three items, but because of getting the feeling of owning this Apple Watch, Tim Cook didn't share features, didn't share that uh, how great this Apple Watch can be, but he shared three stories how this Apple Watch can help some people. And I got this feeling. Wow, I can own this Apple Watch. I can have it, you know, I can simplify my life, decide some problems, uh, you know, uh, many things. Uh, after uh, getting this feeling, I bought three, three items. Can you tell me how to create this feeling? You know, because I see when uh, many uh, websites, webmasters, uh, marketers, you know, they uh, think a lot about features. No, but probably other products have these features. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Samsung, uh, other brands have great features as well. But uh, all big brands are good by sharing stories. So can you tell how to use storytelling style in the right way to, to create this feeling of owning something? Sure, sure. So Tim Cook probably learned it from Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs, in <laughs> fact, um, worked for Pixar for some period of time. And there's a gentleman, I can't remember the, his name off the top of my head, um, who was the chief storyteller at uh, Pixar. And so I remember he spoke at a uh, Topo conference. Um, this was some years ago, five, six years ago. And uh, he stands up on stage and uh, he, he's, he says, uh, you know, I hate to boast, but I'm the greatest storyteller that ever lived. And man, you're like, oh, what is this guy saying? Like, there's no way this can be the case. And he's, he's the person, or at least him and his team are the people that wrote some of the stories, you know, Toy Story, Ratatouille, Up, some of the most famous movies out of Pixar. And um, he proceeded to go through and share a formula that they use at Pixar to tell their stories, a very simple formula. And in fact, he showed how Steve Jobs followed the same exact formula to share to when he, when he announced the first uh, iPhone. And the format is essential. See if I can remember this off the top of my head. It's essentially um, you introduce this uh, this concept. So the way Steve Jobs did it was he introduced the the notion of what's wrong with today's phones. And at the time, right, this was 2008, 2009. You have these phones. Their screens are really small. The keyboards, you know, you have to type four means an F, and like it was just a horrible experience. So he walks you through the emotional high. And then the emotional low, an emotional high, emotional low, emotional high, emotional low. And then he presents this. And so you're, you're intrigued at what this looks like. So he introduces the iPhone and then says, today's phones have terrible screens. And he shows a picture of what the screen is, like half the size of the screen. Remember those Nokia phones are horrible. And then he shows the iPhone. The entire thing is a, is a screen. And so you're emotional high, emotional low. And then he says, you know, typing on these phones is a horrible experience. You're trying to type numbers to get letters. And so he shows you the emotional low of how bad the phones are and what, what's difficult about them. Then he shows what the iPhone looks like. There's a keyboard right on the screen. You can type whenever you need it. And then uh, he shows the uh, internet speed is terrible. You can't look at a, a website. Uh, you know, you pull up a CNN or any of the websites, it's like text. It's not actual graphics. 
So then he shows what it looks like on the iPhone and he pulls up New York Times and you can see full blown, you know, website pages. And so he shows this over and over again. And it, that's what intrigues you is you're at the edge of your seat saying, what, what's next? Like, yes, he's absolutely right. These things that I want to be able to do, they're horrible in the way that they're done today. And by, by the middle of the, the conversation, you can't wait to, to see what this device can do. And it's not, it's not simply the features. He's really pulling the emotional heartstrings of how this is a terrible experience. And I think especially in B2B, we forget this oftentimes, is that people buy emotionally first, then they justify it rationally. And so as, as marketers, we have to make sure that we tell these stories in an effective way where we show, you know, what is so broken about, for example, network monitoring software or whatever the thing is that you're selling, and then show how it's so broke and show how your solution is completely different. Show what else is completely broken. And it's, it's you know, almost um, to the point where you can't believe that people would do things this way and then show how what the alternative is with your approach. And that emotional roller coaster is what keeps us just absolutely intrigued and we have to see what's next and we empathize with that main character that went through this and so one quick side note um the the chief storyteller sort of shows this you know uh example of, of the iphone and then he shows the movie up which was a, a pixar movie up and if you're not familiar with it in the first five minutes of this movie you know, there's a character that um they introduce the old man that lives in his house and he meets his uh, beautiful wife and they get married. And then fast forward a few years later, she has cancer, unfortunately dies. And then he lives alone and, you know, he has this miserable experience. And they, they walk you through, this is a children's movie, right? And so they walk you through this emotional experience and it's the high, it's the low, it's the high, it's the low, it's the high, it's the low. And by the first five minutes, you can't turn that movie off. You have to see how this thing ends. And that's what effective storytelling is. I think we forget that in B2B and it's in incredibly important part to remember yeah you you remind me uh jim edwards you know uh he worked uh 10 years in business insider uh when he spoke on my podcast uh, uh he told me uh success of business insider depends on creating non-boring content you know because most business content uh is boring yeah mm -hmm. it's true for example you know if i take a new book jack london I don't know, name them, uh, many great offers. You know, I can feel that I'm part of the journey. I can live on this book. I can forget about water, meal, sleep, because uh, I own this book. But many business books are great for sleeping. You know, when you have problems with sleep, you can take a new book, read it, sleep well all night, forget <laughs> anything from this book. Uh, and it's the same with any content online. 80% um, of uh, users uh, bounce uh, uh, YouTube video in first 20 seconds. You know, because it's boring. You know, if I watch Mr. Beast, for me, it's hard to, uh, to bounce this video. You know, but uh, many content is great for uh, sleeping, for uh, it's boring, even if it's valuable. Because uh, we need to share some entertainment as well. Uh, I'm interested about sharing this uh, non-boring content. How to create non-boring content in B2B uh, field? Because uh, you know uh, it's not only about sharing value. It's more about retaining users. Because most users are busy uh, and they have no time to consume all content. So they right. open. Uh, if they you can't hook their attention, they live fast. Any insights about that? Yeah, 
Yeah, there's a, a another great framework in a book. Um, there's a guy, Donald Miller, that came up with, um, I think it's Simple Branding, is I forget the exact name of the book. But he uh, articulates essentially the hero's journey. And um, again, in that in that example, he, he cites, the hero is not you as the vendor, it's yeah. your customer. And so he walks you through, you know, articulate who that and introduce that that hero and show what they have a challenge with. And what we want is it's interesting content if I can see myself in that person. Now, it could be a blog post, could be a video, could be a webinar, it could be a lot of different formats, but I need to see myself. Again, we'll use the example of network system administrator. If I can uh, recognize some of the attributes that this person has and see myself in them and then understand and empathize with the challenge that they're facing and have this sort of me too moment where you say, I've got that problem too. I've been there. I know how frustrating that is. And then watch as they go through this experience and trying to figure out the solution and then introduce your solution as uh, the guide. Your, your, your solution and, and you as a vendor, you're not the hero, you're the guide. You're the trusty sort of you know, guide that helps them navigate this process. You're the Yoda to the Luke Skywalker in the, in the hero's journey. And so you provide a plan. Here's these five steps. If you do these five things, you can save the universe and the empire. <laughs> You know, and so it's the same thing in B2B. It's no different. It's network security person has this challenge. They meet a guide. He gives them a plan. He avoids catastrophe and it hits uh, towards what success looks like. And we forget that it's that simple to tell these stories. And when you engage is when you can see yourself in that person. And so you have to understand that person. You have to empathize with that person. Usually you have to have talked and interviewed and, and understood that buyer directly. And then you can use tools like ChatGPT to accelerate your ability to articulate the story. But you have to have that that sort of central ethos of what the story is to be successful. So I think that's the part yeah. we can't forget. Yeah, nice. Valuable, valuable. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, the parameter EEAT. Expertise, experience, authority, trust. You know, for example, my son, he never uh, asks me to buy new sneakers. He always tells me buy Nike. Always. I don't know why. Uh, for me, I don't care a lot about brand uh, because uh, I like quality. I can buy Reebok, uh, Nike, uh, Puma because I care about quality. So we are different customers. He wants to get Nike. Uh, and uh, I try to research why because on his school, Uh, if you have Nike, uh, you can relate yourself with Cristiano Ronaldo because uh, he loves playing soccer. Uh, and uh, people get respect of having new Nike. I don't know why, so probably kid right. stuff. Uh, and um, in our course, you know, Lily Ray wrote a checklist uh, about parameters EEAT. Uh, I don't want to say how much I paid her a lot, <laughs> but you know, anyway, it. it uh, This course costs like $10, $20, not a lot, but, uh, you know, uh, I've learned from Lily Ray and many other experts who share uh, lessons on my course about uh, importance of creating brand awareness. So can you tell how it's important to create brand awareness uh, like Nike, Apple, many other brands can create? And uh, uh, I'm interested about this parameter EEAT. What do you think? Uh, Uh, for example, you know, if uh, I'm going to read a new book, I usually che uh, check out offers because many great books, 
a lot of great books, but I have no time to figure out is it good or not. But if I know the offer, I know, yeah, it's valuable. Uh, and uh, uh, some uh, books are great books. Uh, people don't know about them. And for example, uh, this book, um, a great example. Now, uh, Lloyd Richardson uh, published book uh, 11 years ago, and he spent 14 years to write this book, 14 years. He couldn't sell this book on Amazon for many years, but his daughter decided to post video content about this book to help to get a few sales. And this video became viral. People uh, watched this video plus 50 million times. And today this book is bestseller on Amazon from mm. account with zero followers, with zero people who follow this account. Video became viral to, uh, yeah, it's bestseller on Amazon. Uh, with simple video, I watched this video. Very simple, nothing special. But I got curiosity. You know, I got curiosity. Wow, it's interesting. The author spent 14 years to write book. I need to read it. It's probably good stuff, you know. So uh, can you tell about uh, creating this curiosity and how it's important to create brand awareness to yeah. satisfy this EEAT parameter uh, for Google, for users, for anyone? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question, Antoli. Uh, I think part of it is uh, when I think of brand, I always I always think about the promise that this is the the holy grail of brand is is what promise um, you're you're conveying. So a good example when your son buys those sneakers from Nike, uh, if Nike wasn't in the room, how would he describe buying those shoes to one of his friends? That's the brand promise, right? So it's it's. Um, man, it, the, the, the notion that Nike has been successful to get into is he's a little bit more like Cristiano Ronaldo because he has these shoes. He can maybe run a little bit faster. He can, you know, jump a little higher. He can, whatever those, those things are. And they, can, they may be true or they may not be true, but it doesn't really matter. The truth does not matter. What matters is that he thinks that he can jump higher. That he thinks that yeah. he can run faster. And so that's the brand promise is the reason that he's buying it is because that's the promise that when he buys a Nike, he's going to, in his head, he's going to get those valuable attributes. And um, Seth Godin has, a, has a, a book, this is probably seven or eight years ago, had a book called All Marketers Are Liars. And mm -hmm. I think this is a, it's a very provocative phrase because it's not that we're liars. It's that you're telling yourself, the user, the customer, your son is telling himself a lie. When he buys these shoes, he's going to run faster. He's going to jump higher. And that's what we want to be able to do when you're, when you're successful with brand. It's the same way when you bought that Apple Watch versus a Samsung watch. You, you, you told yourself a lie that this watch can do amazing things. It's a status symbol. It is better quality. And when we talk about brand, it's not that we're trying to mislead. We're trying to get the customer to tell themselves that lie to tell themselves to believe that in fact, if I buy this product, it has these attributes. And it's really funny that he has a, he has a great example, Seth Godin does in his book on wine glasses. And um, he shows how, you know, you have a very cheap wine glass, maybe just an ordinary glass or a cup, and then a very, very high end, you know, kind of more expensive wine glasses. And interestingly enough, every time you do these uh, taste tests, um, with, you know, very fancy wine sommeliers and people that know tons about wine, cheap wine, expensive wine, all kinds of wine. When they taste the two glasses and they can see the two glasses, they believe 
that the wine tastes better in the expensive glass, the one that's shaped for the right wine and all this stuff. But then in fact, when they should do the same exact test and they do it in a, in a way that they can't see the glass, I don't know how they do this. I think they cover up the glass, but they can't see exactly the details and they still drink it. They can't tell the difference, right? And so it's just mm -hmm. fascinating. It's that the, the wine companies have been successful in teaching you and having us tell ourselves a lie that the more expensive glass makes the wine taste better. And in fact, like even if you, uh, even if you can see the difference, you still believe that it tastes better. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So I think when it comes to brand, what we, what we have to do is, is help develop that promise for those customers. And it's, this holds in B2B just the same, right? If you're buying HubSpot versus you know, Pardot or some other marketing automation solution, there's a brand and there's a promise about the help that you'll be able to get, the success that you'll be able to get. I think a lot of us think, you know, when you when you deal with HubSpot, it's more of an SMB, maybe a mid-market solution. Marketo is more of a mid-market solution. Eloqua or some of the Pardot and some of these are, are more enterprise. So we're telling ourselves a lie. HubSpot's actually very good at doing some of the enterprise uh, level features. And so those are the things that we have to get articulated uh, to when, we're, when we think about brand. And so you have to be conscious about all of the little things that that go into telling that brand promise down to the tone of your your messages so even using chat gpt you have to tell it you know are you a jovial kind of comedial um uh, a tone are you more serious are you more assertive are you more formal and informal and then when it comes to the imagery as well when you go to the website is it you know more jovial is it research-based and so all of these things have to do with you know starting to develop that promise of what you see when you when you come across. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice, love it, love it. Uh, Nick, I opened your LinkedIn profile because I love opening LinkedIn profiles, and you know I, I found your message very simple. We help you grow. Very simple. You know, uh, I got the feeling like Apple make difference. Now, uh, so uh, I think simplicity is very important today. Yes, because uh, people uh, have no time to figure out uh, in hard content, even if it's, if it's valuable. You need to be simple as much as possible. Uh, Albert Einstein said this uh, many years ago, and it works today even better because people hate hard content uh, and I want to ask you about your uh, consulting business you know for example uh, when I created this SEO course with Lily Ray, Jeff Coyle, Mike Phillips plus 20 well-known experts uh, I found all of them are better than me in some specific directions no for example Olga Zar is much better than me in technical optimization uh jeff coil is better with creating advanced strategy uh lily ray is much better than me in eeat uh, but anyway i found uh companies usually implement 40 percent of all advice of all tips that uh, consultants can give them according to uh, some popular tweets uh, for example if company a company pays like uh, Ten thousand dollars for consultancy. Uh, they implement like for forty uh, percent or uh, six thousand dollars are wasted. Can you tell your methods how to transfer that? It's important to implement to do because after seeing your simple quote, I got it. You know how to do it right. Any insights how to transfer data in the right way? Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's funny that the quote. Um, 
it's just one of those things where after working, I, I think so much of marketing has to do with is growth. It's not all growth. It's not all sort of demand gen and brand, but that's where I, I really wanted the emphasis to be on grow. In fact, the website is grow.llc. So everything is sort of growth oriented around uh, around my consulting business as it relates to B2B because so much of what these businesses are trying to do is grow quickly. Uh, but I think being simple um, is in fact harder. In fact, I think it was Mark Twain that said if I, I um, he was writing a letter and it said something in effect of I would have wrote a shorter letter if I had more time, which I thought is just a, it's a really fun quote. Uh, I think with ChatGPT, it's interesting. You can limit uh, the amount of text that it provides. You can actually ask it to write things in 50 words or 100 words or limit the the length of sort of your responses. And um, it's in, in fact harder to be more concise uh, than it is to be much more verbose. And I think with these tools, we're gonna have the ability to be much, much more verbose and the really good uh, sort of marketing will come from being very concise, being very to the point. So um, I, I think that's sort of the key part. And as it comes to your point about the consulting practice, uh, a lot of consultants see this, right? You make a lot of recommendations and then some of those recommendations are implemented, some of them are not. And so my approach in, in my consulting business is to, I use a lot of frameworks and templates. So for example, frameworks for positioning and messaging and content strategy and demand generation. And so the idea is that they're, they're, it's almost like uh, Mad Libs. In other words, it's like fill in the blanks. And so the idea is then, then they're much more likely to get used because you can move through the process very quickly you can reflect on it and you can implement those, those details very quickly. Um, I, you know, I can't say that everything 100% gets used all the time. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Um, but by having those kind of frameworks and templates, I think it has a lot better chance to be uh, used and implemented versus having to come up with things you know, from scratch that might not get used necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I found, uh, you know, uh, that uh, when you're customers, uh, clients understand uh, what you do, you can get uh, much better results. For example, if my clients understand SEO, we can go ahead like a, a cohesive team. You know, we can create cohesive plans uh, and get uh, great results. But if they don't understand, I lead them to my course. Please, Leon, you need to understand because it's not like to hire uh, a specialist who will provide the rest. You know, it doesn't work, you know, because uh, creating content, uh, uh, you know, demands experience. If you have no experience, it's hard to overcome your competitors. Uh, and uh, any consultants are not magicians. We have no secrets. We have no some special methods, but we can adapt to unique selling proposition to specific preferences, to find great way how to do it. But you can do it when your clients understand what you do. Nick, let's imagine you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today to learn more about uh, marketing and uh, AI? Yeah, that's a great question, Anatoly. Uh, you know, one of the things that I did early in my career was um, surrounding myself with peers that were at other companies. So for example, um, when I started running demand generation at a, at a, at a company a few years ago, um, it's a relatively new role for me. I'd been around it a little bit, but I, I, I didn't have any experience managing a team of demand gen managers. And so I, I simply, I live in Austin, Texas and it's a relatively tech friendly place. Uh, and so I just you know reached out to a number of other folks that were at non-competitive uh, companies and just uh, we did a, a monthly sort of get together where we'd all get together and 
And I, I that at least that's a, a good way for me in terms of how I learn is uh, meeting these other folks. We we stood up a little. At, we didn't have Slack at the time. It was more of an email chain. So anytime somebody came across an issue, you could just email the group, and it was a very fast way to learn about new tools, to get across other objections, and to see how other people were doing things. And so that's definitely a great way to be able to do it. Uh, certainly, I, I like to read a lot of books on business things, and even though they do help you get to sleep once in a while, there's also some good takeaways. I think this uh, generative AI stuff is is um, it's so fast moving though that there's there's not been a lot of content written on it. The irony is it hasn't been written on it yet, and it's changing so fast. So I prefer uh, you know the the vehicle of uh, of talking to other people and understanding what they're doing with these tools. Because it's almost, um, and, and as a consultant, I get to I get to cheat here a little bit. I get to see what one client's doing and another client's doing and another client's doing, and then take what's working and what's not working and apply them to the other clients. And so that's one of the big benefits that I have is, is being able to talk to lots of people uh, and understand how they're using these different tools. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, Anatoly, you mentioned, you know, you might not be uh, a little bit different than Moz or some of these other SEO folks. I think it brings up a great great uh, point, though. In, in this type of generative AI world, we have to think about positioning um, in a little bit different way. And, and I, I'm a big fan of the, the tried and true classic sort of positioning, either you're cheaper, faster, or better. And I think understanding that is incredibly important to feed into these generative AI solutions. So you know, if you're Rolls-Royce, you're not trying to be faster. You're not trying to be cheaper. You're trying to be better and better in a very specific way, less noise, better quality, all of these things. And so we can't check our brains at the door as marketers. We have to understand the positioning that we're taking as a company and then feed into these generative AI solutions to help us articulate how our positioning is cheaper, faster, or better. And so similarly on the SEO front, you might be you know, better at SEO. You might be cheaper. You might be faster. Whatever that is, you have to get, a, get that fundamental understanding of your competitive landscape and then and then use that with these tools as well yeah nice you, you remind me cristiano ronaldo you know once he said uh he uh surrounds himself with positive people uh, with the same interest if he can't then he will go alone <laughs> so no i think uh yeah it's a good point you know um uh, for example i never cooperate with toxic clients so if i can feel it uh, it doesn't matter what kind of money you have because uh, this money can't cover my uh, health issue <laughs> mentally issue so yeah my and the same things okay nick my last question about uh, the future of marketing we have ai that was simple to ignore hard today impossible tomorrow so can you tell what kind of future will be if we have AI in the beginning of this journey? We don't know how things will be updated, uh, probably a lot, because it's only the beginning. Chat GPT, like a few months ago, uh, was appealed. Uh, yeah, we, we had some AI tools before, but uh, today it's hot. It's growing. It's updating. I updating my tools with AI. Many companies, I don't know any company that uh, don't think how to update their existing tools with AI. What do you think? What kind of future will be and how to adapt today to this possible future? Yeah, that's a great point, Anatoly. I think, uh, you know, there's this notion of a 10x developer on the engineering side. So one developer that can that can create the output that is 10 times as productive as, uh, you know, an, another developer. And 
And when it comes to code and software and things like that, you can write you can write 10 lines of code that's more effective than 100 lines of code. So that, that notion has existed for some time. In marketing, we haven't really had that. We haven't had the ability, even though marketing automation has helped us scale, uh, this, is a, this is a completely different level of being able to improve your productivity. And I think that what we'll see is um, a little bit more senior and experienced marketers that, that have uh, a little bit more of an astute understanding of positioning and messaging and brand and some of these, some of these more right brain activities are going to be able to use and leverage generative AI and other AI tools to be you know, 10x more productive. And so as a, as a marketer, and if you're a junior marketer, it's starting to, to understand and develop some of those softer skills around empathy, around a brand, around positioning and messaging and understanding tone so that you're able to use these tools to be you know, 10x more productive. And we may see some consolidation of teams, uh, but I think we'll also see the, the individuals be massively more productive. And so we'll start to be able to leverage these tools. I was working with a client just today and they were going through their website and um, you can go through and, and update, you know, come up with 10 different versions of headlines and run them through some AI generative tools that will predict which one will be the most effective. And then they're running A-B tests on those and they're doing the same thing for their ad campaigns and their email campaigns. So it's like the, the level of sophistication in terms of moving through these is extremely quick. And I think, I think that's phase one is that first version of, of you know, okay, copy and paste from ChatGPT, put it into marketing automation, run an A-B test, and we'll start to see, you know, phase two will be all of this stuff integrated, and it'll start to optimize and run campaigns that are automatically optimized towards pipeline generation or deal creation. And so it's going to take a, a sophisticated marketer to understand all of those different dynamics at play, but we're going to see this dramatically speed up, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch and encourage people to, you know, one of the best tips I've heard is, um, is just keep ChatGPT open in a browser. And then just mm -hmm. anything you're doing, if you're writing or thinking or doing, just copy and paste it in there and see what it comes up with. And it's amazing mm -hmm. how much faster you can come up with the responses and what that starts to look like. And, and sometimes you forget that it's even out there. And so just keeping it open in a browser is a, it's a simple, free, easy trick to be able to do. <laughs> nice, nice, great, great. Yeah, love it, love it. Nick, it's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you, tell our audience, the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to get your consultancy service and anything that can uh, connect you with others. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. So the, the website's growth.llc. So that's a pretty easy uh, website to go look up. And uh, But usually probably more of my, my content I'm putting out on LinkedIn these days. So it's just um, slash Nick Bobsar. You can see the name on the title here um, in terms of my LinkedIn. But yeah, I'd love to, to have folks reach out if they're exploring ChatGPT or other AI tools and share with me if you've, if you've got some new tools, this stuff is changing as you pointed out so fast, it's, uh, it's hard to stay on top of this. And I'd love to just hear about some, what some of the use cases are that folks are using uh, some of the newer tools. It'd be fun to hear from folks. Nice, nice. Guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure, love it so valuable guys you need to follow nick because you can see a lot of value okay thanks a lot for listening and watching us thanks for listening to this entire podcast please rank your experience in apple spotify google or any other platforms that you may use also please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift we'll see you soon
on other valuable audio podcasts.